I was thinking maybe um, we can do like a little, like obviously we're going to start Feminist February sometime this week. Uh-huh. But if we do it early, maybe we can do like a little video too and just kind of recap the end of Beatlemania and kind of touch on where we're going to be, like where our head's at going into Feminist February. and Kind of sure. just something, not, not anything too elaborate, but maybe just something small and extra. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, since we both have the week off, we might as well give it a shot. That way I can spend the week editing it or trying to figure out editing shit. Sure, no problem. But um, I'm, a, I'm actually drinking tonight, so... Hell yeah. What you drink? Ooh, you got a stout? Yeah, it's a... Uh, what is it? It's a platform called Bon Boni Bonnerie uh, Opera Cream Stout. Oh, that sounds so good. Yeah, it's really good. You had me at cream stout. <laughs> had me at cream, baby. <laughs> oh shit. Um, how do you feel? How do you feel about Beatlemania? Are you over it, or are you like, are you gonna miss it? No, I, I mean I'm still fully in it, man. Like I, I love the Beatles. It's just been the most, it's been probably one of the more enjoyable months I've had overall. Um, just focusing on an artist, just because I mean, I, I would listen to the Beatles anyway if I wasn't doing Beatlemania. So yeah, getting getting to dive in again is always fun. I mean, I do this every few years anyway. So yeah, I, um, I think it would be fun to do it again next year, but like differently. Maybe we just focus on all the like solo artists afterwards. Like yeah, we could do that. Kind of like we did. Uh, we could just condense it to one episode. Do like the family tree. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would be fun. But uh, yeah, I I was kind of feeling the same way. Like Zoe's like, "Are you you sad you're not going to be able to talk about the Beatles?" I'm like, "I'm probably just going to talk to you, and I'm going to text Kevin individually. Like, we're not going to talk <laughs> about it, but we're st- I'm st- probably still going to be in because there's still so much I want to know." Yeah, like there's two, there's two two or three more movies still to watch. Um, plenty of documentaries out there. Plenty of like crazy stories. So. Did you watch? Did you buy it or did you rent? I rented it. I'll probably end up buying it though because I legitimately enjoyed it. Yeah, I did. I did too. I, I'm excited. I think we should read the emails first this week. Okay, that's fine. Okay. Um, do you have them pulled? I can pull one up on my phone. Hold on. I can get them pulled up as well. Um, but um, yeah, we can go ahead and get started here in a second. Hey everyone, and welcome to Off the Beaten Clef. This week, we are in week five of Beatlemania January. Yes, we are. And we are going to talk about help. Help! <laughs> help! <laughs> help me, help me. By the Beatles from 1965. I've just seen a face I can't forget the time or place where we just met She's just a girl for me and I want all the world to see we've met mm-hmm. Had it been another day I might have looked the other way And I'd have never been aware But as it is I'll dream of her tonight Alright gang so here we are We're in week 5 
we're doing kind of a double feature to finish yep. uh, Beatlemania January. We're going to talk about Help uh, by the Beatles. We're going to talk about the movie, and we're going to talk about um, the album. We're going to go song by song through the album, kind of touch on songs that are in the movie, and then we're going to talk about the movie at the very end. Yep. Um, but we're going to start first things first. We're going to get into our audience submissions. Uh, we got two emails, one from Louie and one from Ben. Yep. Uh, I'll let you read Louis and I'll read Ben's. Okay, so I will start with Louis. Uh, Louis writes this week, Wow, this movie is a wild ride. The Beatles one-liners are the best parts of the movie. Uh, he uh, he puts his quote in here when they're in uh, trying to get police protection. Only Paul, uh, where John says, Only Paul and I know we're here. And then George says, I know we're here. And it's just so, it's just perfect Beatles humor. Um because I don't know the way that scene's set up it's just quick jumps like they don't give you time to like take in the joke it's like either you heard it or you missed it and I think that's why I love this specific brand of humor because you have to pay attention to hear all the jokes um, uh, but yeah anyway continuing Louis' email here and definitely hold them the, the one-liners definitely hold the mess together uh, it definitely shows its age it's still a fun little romp with the boys my submission this week is octopus garden by the Beatles. Uh, we got a movie about Ringo, so I had to pick the, the Ringo song. Uh, it's peaceful and cheery and makes you want to float in the ocean. Uh, what a fun month it's been. Uh, now one for the ladies. I reference to next month for Feminist February. Hell yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I'm very excited to talk about the movie, especially when we get in song by song and just like the context of how they, they fit these songs in. Um, but we also got Ben Carter's uh, song of the show submission. He said, "Whew, it's been quite the journey with you boys this month. Help is something else, somehow even stranger than Yellow Submarine and less cohesive. Yeah. Worth a watch as a big Beatles fan, but I don't think I'll be throwing that on again for a while. I feel the exact opposite. Yes, me too. I, I might watch it again tonight. <laughs> uh, he said, I needed my <clears throat> EDM therapy after watching... Uh, so my song of the show is Together by Lane 8 off his brand spanking new album called Reviver. Together starts uh, slow but picks up steam quickly, powered by a bass line that builds like a cannonade that explodes into a relentlessly uplifting drop. Feels good, man. Brings you, Bringing you beats and crap, Benji, Columbus, Ohio. So thanks to both of those guys for their submissions. Um, yeah. They're basically just a part of the show. They just don't join us every week. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I think it's funny what you can get out of this movie and what you, if you go in with like, you gave me like the perfect analogy of like, this is going to be like an Austin Powers movie, mm-hmm. which are three of my favorite movies of all time. So right. I was really excited for like that kind of stupid humor, but also kind of James Bond feel. And yeah. so the movie just like it, it got me exactly where I wanted to be. Yeah, man. It's uh, it's not for everyone, certainly. Certainly, Ben and Louie didn't seem to like it near as much as we did. I think we both loved it. Uh, if you're not a fan of, like, very British humor, um, it's probably not going to be your thing. But I, I fucking love it. It's, again, we'll, we'll get more into it as we go along here. But it's, I, I like it better than Yellow Submarine at this point in my life. Um, I think it's way more cohesive than Yellow Submarine. There's an actual storyline. I mean, nothing really happens. It's just them trying to kill Ringo over and over again. But there is a a plot that is going on. There is an inciting action and all that. But um, I don't know. 
yeah, it's it's great. We'll we'll we'll, we'll hop right into it here. Um, do you want to start with opening thoughts, or do you want me to go? Yeah. So let, let's. I want to get your opening thoughts on the album, and then I'll give okay. mine. Um, because we've talked about the movie, but um, there is a full fourteen song album that goes along with this this yeah. movie. Yep. Uh, fourteen songs. What thirty three minutes? So right up your alley. Yeah, buddy. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, this is, so this is the Beatles still in their kind of love song phase. Um, but this album is top to bottom, almost, almost really top to bottom, really good. Now there's, they kind of falter somewhere towards the middle end. Um, but the first eight tracks are just banger after banger, after banger, after banger. So like the first 20 minutes of this album are incredible. Yeah. (laughs) Um, but yeah, the songs are simple. But this this is it's interesting listening to this album because it's an interesting cross section of the Beatles, kind of like um, uh, Rubber Soul. Um, this that's them on the other side of this. So this is them perfecting the boy band sound, and there's nothing, there's nowhere else they could go with that sound. So then they started to do other stuff, and this is just a, an incredibly well made pop rock album. Um, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think this is a great start place to start as well. If you're looking to get into Beatles, cause there's some more well-known stuff on here. Um, and it is like the stuff that they're more well-known for. So they're kind of poppy stuff, but boy, is it fucking good for a lot of it. It's, 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 uh, there's some really good shit on here. Um, it's like, they're starting to lose some of their boyish charm for smoldering maturity, but they're still young enough to kind of kick it with college kids. You know what I mean? That's kind of what this album feels like to me. Yeah, it's almost like you go through that first like significant breakup and they touch on it a lot in this album of like I'm sad all the time and like I'm a little depressed and like maybe those thoughts of depression and stuff that helped with stuff later on was like coming through but they didn't necessarily know like I'm super sad about this breakup but maybe it was just like maybe you're just sad in general and like yeah. I think those they start entertaining those thoughts a little bit and rubber soul it really comes through and then later on, you know, what they became later. And I think Help and Rubber Soul are my favorite two Beatles albums because they yep. are kind of in that crossroads of like being really poppy but also like pretty pretty cool experimentation and like really cool um moments that not every song is like a killer track, but there's like these little moments there's a part where Ringo has one of my favorite drum fills of all time. Yeah. Um, I mean, this is a Ringo head album. Like Ringo does a lot of really cool shit with like um, post-production stuff, like, like putting, like going in and recording stuff over the track. Uh, I think that's called overdubs. I could be wrong, but um, I'm just going to call it post-production because that's at least accurate. Right. <laughs> not, maybe not specific enough, but um, yeah, man, it's, it's really fucking cool. Like Ringo really shines in this album. So it makes sense that the movie was also about him. Um, I also yeah, read something that like he was like they thought he would be the most likely to be like a, a famous movie star. Ringo? Yeah. <laughs> that makes no sense. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you want to just get into track one? Okay. So track one is Help! Uh, it's a Lennon McCartney song. It might be the emo anthem of the 20th century. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> And that's saying a lot because I'm a big emo guy. This song is emo as hell. Um, this song was uh, John's... He wrote this song to confront his feelings about the quick fame for the Beatles. Um, I think it's a great opener. With It's got great guitars, awesome melodies. 
And that I love that. Won't you please? Yeah, that, please, please help me. Yes. Yeah. Um, and it's it's a great song for there to for the movie too. Like, if there's gonna be a, a song that represents a whole movie, I think this song was perfect for it. Yeah, hundred percent. Um, I, I, I just to build on that point when it sh- when it shows up at the end of the movie in the big fight scene, it's perfect. It's absolutely perfect because there's so much forward momentum in the song um, that it's just really perfect for a goofy fight scene. Um, kind of seeing where the characters are going to end up and just seeing all the characters fight each other and move to different places. This is like a really, really cool choice for that that end of the movie where it is the beginning of the, the album. It's the end of the movie. So, um, but yeah, no, I wrote the, the Beatles are just really good at starting albums. Uh, you would think that just screaming help to start an album wouldn't be a would be really bad idea, but it immediately engages you and drops you right into like this perfect pop rock vortex for the next thirty three minutes, and like you have no choice but to sit up and listen. Like, oh shit, <laughs> John needs my help. <laughs> I'm coming, bud. Uh, yeah, and it's the- perfect because like the whole movie is basically trying to help Ringo get this ring off his finger. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I feel like that's a very, very loose basis for what is this movie, but it's just, I don't know. The movie doesn't matter. The movie's <laughs> fucking awesome. Um, but, you know, the, the constant bed of, like, backup harmonies, this is this is a backup harmony tr- album as well. They're so, so tasty in this, throughout this entire album. Um, and Ringo is super forward in the mix. Like, the drums are maybe the most forward instrument in this mix, and it's really makes for a really good energetic starter. Um, I really, really, really like Help. Uh, this whole album has been just looping in my head all week. Um, but yeah, yeah, moving straight into The Night Before, which is track number two. And we don't lose a single bit of that momentum from Help. Uh, it's another up, up-tempo, but super in, like refined pop song. Almost more in like the Chuck Berry rock and roll mode. Um, and I, I, it struck me listening to this. I've listened, I listened to this album four times today. <laughs> <laughs> and so it struck me as I was listening to it, like, this might be overall the best the boys have sound vocally and their in their entire discography. I think this is their best vocal performance on this album. And it really stands out in these first eight tracks. Uh, it really stands out here for the first time as well. Um, this hook has been, been stuck in my head all week. Um, like when I held you near, you were so sincere. Like that shit's been stuck in my head all fucking week, dude. It's just really, really good classic rock. And I love it. I can't get enough of it. I think Again, it's the way John and George harmonize in the background because that, yeah. oh man, it's so good. Yeah, man, uh, it's just, I can't get enough of it. It's just, ugh, fuck, I love it. Plus, uh, we get maracas in this song. And it just like, <laughs> how do you not smile when maracas yeah. are making an appearance? Uh, yeah, I I had the same thoughts. Like this was so like heartwarming to hear Paul on the lead and then John and uh, George harmonizing in the background. It just like oh man, I I just want to live in that moment forever. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these songs I'd heard for the first time, so this one I was like, yep, I'm gonna go ahead and throw that one back on. Uh, yeah. it was kind of like, uh, the same way I was with rubber soul. I just like got obsessed with like three songs and this was one of them for sure. Yeah. Um, you want to go straight into track three? Let's move her on, bud. Uh, 
You've Got to Hide Your Love Away. Uh, last song was a Lennon McCartney song. This one is also a Lennon McCartney song. You've Got to Hide Your Love Away. And this is a little folky. We're getting a little folky. Um, this is where we start feeling the folk come in. Um, there's a moment in the where I saw there's a lot of like Middle, East, Middle Eastern things that happen in the movie. And I've read that that's what influenced them to like start doing all that stuff with the sitar. So really this movie projected them into where they ended up, but getting off track. This is a little folky tune. I really enjoy it. John says it was heavily inspired by Bob Dylan, which if you've yeah. listened to any Bob Dylan, you it definitely just seems like kind of a ripoff of Bob Dylan. Yeah, sure. Um, the lyrics are pretty ambiguous, but it's believed to either be about John needing to hide the fact that he was married because he was a beetle and they did, they wanted them to like leave that that mystery, or uh, it was about their manager Brian Epstein having to hide his sexuality because he was. Um, it was against the grain back then to, to have that kind of sexuality. So sure. I um, I love the scene where they play the song in the movie. Yeah. It's so cool. <laughs> John's just like sitting in the chair and playing the guitar and the, and, uh, that little flat, which that flat was so cool. Yes, got the little yeah. carve out in the floor. Yes. John's bed is the coolest dude. <laughs> I want that bed so bad. I'd like, I've never wanted something more than seeing that and like him having the telephone with him laying in bed. Yeah. I was like, damn, that's so cool. <laughs> um, and then the gardener just shows up and starts playing the flute. Like, yeah, oh. that, yes, I, that's one of my favorite parts because when they when we first meet the gardener, it's like that because the gardener lives in uh, George's part of the flat and he just sits down on his bed and points at him. And then he takes out two little toy teeth and starts mowing like the grass and George's part of the. It's fucking stupid. Yeah. <laughs> this guy, this guy doesn't have any speaking parts, but all of a sudden, towards the like for the last ten seconds of this song, when the flute comes in, they pan over to the gardener sitting like twenty feet away, and he just sits there and plays flute lonely by himself. It's just, it's comedic gold to me. That shit cracked me. Yes. Um, but yeah, it uh, reminded me of Austin. Finished. Yeah, it just reminded me of Austin Powers, where he's like, and you, man, arbitrarily twisting knobs. Yeah, <laughs> that was the yeah. gardener. Yeah, very, very much so. Uh, he got a pretty big credit at the end of credits too, which is funny. He's like one of the main end credits. It's so funny. He, he appears in the movie for maybe thirty seconds. Yeah, it's it's great. This is my favorite track on the album. Uh, like, I, there's a close second coming up soon. Um, but I just really, really love the tone, overall tone of this song. It's not something we really hear a whole lot from the Beatles anywhere else. I mean, you get a little bit of it on Abbey Road, um, more of a folksy, bluesy feel to it. Um, but this is kind of a standout track in their discography because you don't really get a whole lot of like true folk. Uh, it, it's a minimalistic acoustic track that it's to me it sounded like it was made in the '90s. This would fit very nicely in the '90s folk scene. Um, but yeah, it, it definitely is Bob Dylan inspired. It's very much of its era, but also feels very much ahead of its time as well. Uh, just because they know how to, like, this is how you make a great acoustic folk track. You keep it simple, but incredibly interesting, mainly with that chorus. Uh, John's vocal performance in that chorus is so, so smooth, dude. That, hey, you've got to hide your love. It's so fucking good. Uh, it's just like creamy, buttery, and it makes for like really, really good acoustic. 
Um, the little tambourine hits are just enough. They're like perfect on the on the the fourth the fourth beat every fucking time, just to bring you into the next uh, phrase. It's really just expertly done acoustic. And you think, oh, this sounds like a simple song, but it's really not. Like if you think about it, the way they constructed it is really really genius. Um, and yeah, I just mentioned the part about the the lawnmower man playing the flute at the end is is just fucking hilarious. <laughs> I, I, I really, really love this song. This is one of those ones I keep running back. Uh, again, the, the great thing about the Beatles and really a lot of artists at the time um, is that you can just continually play songs over and over again. Like, like I said, I've listened to this album four times today. So it's not a huge time commitment. And to make something that sounds this good to me in a, such a short amount of time, I just, I mean, I can't get enough of this song. Um, and it's because they're so... I, I know we've talked about it a lot over the last five weeks, but having a song that's less than three minutes leaves, I think it allows you to like have a replay quality that you yeah, don't really get now. Like if you make it a long dreamy sequence of a song that's five minutes long, then, you know, the replay quality isn't as, as there. Yeah. And I think, I think that's part of the reason why the Beatles are so magic is because they could take a two minute and 30 second song and give you just as much, if not more content than these four or five minute songs we're getting as a standard today. Like I would much rather listen to this song than just about any other folk I'm hearing today. Mm -hmm. It's so, it's just so good. It's perfectly condensed. And I don't know, man, there's just, there's, there's a certain magic to these guys. And I, I don't know if it thinks if they're a product of their era. It, I mean, it's, it's, I was thinking about it today. It's a mixture of talent, but mostly luck. Like they were, they were incredibly lucky, both with the stuff that they backed into, but also the time that they were coming out and they were able to be influential and they had the, the luck to be able to do the things that they did. Uh, yeah. Again, for such a simple track to give me this much to talk about, you know, it's good. Yep. All right. Now that we're back from doggy fights, it's time to move on to <laughs> track number four. I need you. Uh, the double vocal tracks in this song and this album are really fucked. They again, this is their this is that song that sound that started in Please Please Me perfected. I would love to listen to Please Please Me and then this right after it just to see the growth that they had in what four years. It's it's incredible. Now, um, I don't just, even think it was that. I think it was two years. Yeah, like two or three. Yeah, it's crazy, man. Like th their growth like rate is is phenomenal to see uh and like i like i said before this is kind of the most they can do with this sound and it really shows in these first eight tracks here um uh, i think the guitar sounds are reversed as well this is something that they do a lot in, late, in their later um years uh it leads to like a strange but ultimately pretty interesting sound i don't love it but it's 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 enough to catch your ear um again the, the melody is is simple but it's so damn good like it won't be denied uh I don't know. There's just something about this song. Again, it's not as good as the first three, I don't think, but it holds its own and it, it really earns its place on this album. And this, this, uh, this great stretch of eight, eight songs here. Um, it feels to me like that prom band from please, please me went out on a break, smoked some weed and came back and just played something really cool. That's, that's kind yeah. of what this song sounds like to me. Yep. They took a brief intermission, came back. Yep. And uh, they even performed this at Stonehenge in the movie, which was so cool. I think they yeah, yeah, got yeah. two songs in it, Stonehenge. Yeah. Um, but this is a George Harrison song. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, it's pretty simple, but it's catchy as hell. And, yeah. I mean, you, 
you've said so many good things. I like I don't want to harbor too many points <clears throat> over again. But I like this song because I like when George is being vulnerable because it doesn't happen very often. A lot of his songs aren't about relationships, so anytime it is, you kind of pay attention a little bit more. And this song was about his on-again, off-again, and then girlfriend, and then his eventual wife, Patty Boyd. So it's kind of cool to know, like, you wrote the song about someone that ended up being your wife. Um, It's his second songwriting credit, and his first since their album with the Beatles in 1963. And I was reading up, like, why did it take him so long to get another writing credit? Because he is such a prolific songwriter, and I guess (laughs) he was... uh, demoralized to say the least because he would bring like not complete songs and they would be like yeah this is kind of shit and (laughs) he was like oh okay like i guess i'll just go fuck off in the corner then and uh like reading that kind of bummed me out because like linda mccartney never had full songs when they came to each other and like brought a song so like that's where i could kind of feel george's pain is like those two never had complete ideas and they completed them together. So George would come in with these ideas and they're like, well, that's not even a full idea. It's like, well, right. you guys never have full ideas. <laughs> <laughs> so I totally get George's perspective, especially yeah. later on. Cause yeah. if it's showing that early and just like his second songwriting credit ever, it's kind of a bummer, but yeah. Um, yeah. They performed this song at the Stonehenge, which I thought was really cool. Yeah. Um, I had to do a double take to be like, is that, because they don't, I don't think they even draw attention to it. No, they, they really like, don't. They don't. You just Which have is to funny know because they, they use those. The, one of my, again, I'm going to get off track with the movie a little bit, but one of my favorite parts of the movie is the amount of times they use that like pop up text. Like specifically, the one that made me laugh the most, I think, outside of one I want to talk about later is when the tiger shows up and it just, the text pops up and just says, a tiger. And it's. <laughs> It's so stupid. I don't remember them popping up and saying like Stonehenge or anything like no. that, which is something that is a running joke throughout the movie. Yeah, I can't wait to talk about the one I know you're going to talk about because it made me laugh out loud later. Well, I don't know if you know, but it's uh, it's it's fucking great. Um, hopefully, it's the same one because it's it's yeah, oh God, it's so funny. Uh, so you yes, ready to go right in? Yes. Uh, so track number five is Another Girl, which is a Lennon McCartney song. And we pick it up a little bit. We 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 dip down a little bit and we're like the trajectory is right back up. Yep. Um the this is like a blues feel, and I love it because the guitar solos are like coming through. This isn't like a verse chorus, verse chorus. This is like they kind of let loose a little bit here. And uh I like the guitar solo just like coming throughout the song. It isn't like a, hey, this is after the second chorus. We'll we'll throw in a guitar solo. Um, so I thought that was cool. And this is a song where uh, George, Paul, and John all harmonize. But this is one of the rare instances that John takes the high harmony, which yeah. uh, I guess Paul always took the high harmony. Um, it really makes it sound more bluesy because I think John does have that like voice that sounds. When he lets loose a little bit, it sounds more bluesy and rock and roll. Uh, In the movie, this is where they are in the Bahamas, and Paul pretends to play the girl as a guitar. Uh, John is on the drums, and Ringo's on the acoustic guitar, and George is on the bass, which is one of my favorite scenes from the movie. Yeah, it's a really cool scene. Uh, 
just because again, it just it's like they're in the, we're in the Bahamas. Can we get two attractive women to just act like they're instruments, please? <laughs> yeah, it's, it was incredible. Yeah, um, yeah. This this song to me, it's the most '60s track I've ever heard. It's to me, it's just great pop. It, to me, th- this doesn't really stand out to me as anything special, um, but it's just really good. <laughs> like it's just, it's just part of this run that just doesn't miss. Uh, it, it's uh, you know when you think of go go dancers, you'll hear this song in your head essentially. Uh, it's it's really just fun, and I think that this part of the movie kind of enhances that. They're kind of just laughing throughout the whole thing, having fun, uh, standing next to beautiful women on the beach. And yeah, it's it's a it's a cool little track. I get, I think you hit more points than I would have pulled and pulled from this. So um, I'm just gonna move on if that's okay with you. Yeah, I was just gonna say I think we'll talk about the Bahamas part later. But it honestly, that part was like, why did they have to go to the Bahamas? Is this like a Adam Sandler movie where he, they just like wanted to go on vacation on somebody yeah. else's dime? Yeah, that's a hundred percent what this movie is. It's it's the Beatles said, "Hey, give us some money so we can act like idiots and go all the places we want to go." That's exactly what this movie is, and it's I love every second of it. Yeah, um, yeah. So track number six, you're gonna lose that girl. Very very close second to my favorite song, um, and I think the movie really enhances this song because it's one of the coolest. It's it's shot so cool. Like they're down in a pit. It's just like a regular studio session. It, the the opening part of this scene is from behind, and you can just see Ringo just fucking really coolly smoking a cigarette. Uh, and, and Ringo is it's just the coolest shit I've ever seen because he continues to smoke the cigarette through the recording session and just keeps. It's just Ringo is so fucking cool. It's so movie. cool, dude. It's so cool. I uh, it's it makes you rethink. Like everyone's like, don't ever call me Ringo when. We're like dishing out who the Beatles are. Ringo's the fucking coolest, dude. Nah, Ringo's fucking goaded, dude. Ringo is the coolest member of the band, and I won't hear any other any else anything else. Yeah, uh, go watch Help and tell me Ringo's not the fucking coolest because he is. <laughs> it's like uh, what I don't know if you sent it to me or I sent it to you, but that that uh, TikTok of Ringo doing nothing during their music videos. <laughs> yeah, it's fucking hilarious, dude. Like Ringo is the fucking just, coolest. He looks like a sad dog. <laughs> yeah. he just is like standing in the background he's like i don't want to play drums in this video i'm just gonna stand here and look cool it's so oh. funny dude uh but yeah this uh this is a uh, like a perfect example of what i was talking about earlier where there's a lot of really cool like post-production stuff um specifically the bongos oh, dude, yes. uh, the bongos just were they really this because this track can would be i think not average but like not anything super special without like the depth that those bongos add it's just it's it's simple but it really takes the drum track over the top and it really gives a like a special depth to this song that i think i don't know and it just seeing like again in the movie when they should cut to ringo playing the bongos he's just kind of tucked off in the corner that's again ringo being awesome um but yeah, John's vocal is great on this fucking song, man. And Paul and George harmonizing with the backups throughout. It's, I mean, again, I've, I've said it before, but this is the best vocal performance in any on any Beatles record. Period. I think they they really really honed it in here and just really perfected their vocal chops here. Yeah. It's just I they're so they're so nice. Like I can just. I don't know. I fucking love this song so, so fucking much. And honestly, if if um, 
Hydra Level Way wasn't so cool, uh, this would easily be my favorite song because it is a just a really complete studio track. Yeah, yeah, I def I definitely think this is my favorite song on the album. Yeah, yeah. And the first thing I wrote was I fucking love the bongos. <laughs> so, so, yeah, I I um I listened to the album a couple times before we watched the movie, and then I watched the movie and I went back and listened to the album and I was like. Oh my god! I did not. I knew I liked this song, but it's just kind of like v- tucked away in the middle. But those bongos really make it stand out from the rest of the rest of the album, and like it's not just another run of the mill track because of those bongos. Yeah. Um. In the movie, they're in the studio, which you talked about, and I believe they talk about it being like the fifth attempt of them trying to like kidnap yeah. Ringo. <laughs> yeah. And they cut a hole, and Ringo falls through the floor with his drum set. Right. Um. How many times do you think Ringo fell through the floor in this movie? Uh, at at least four that I can remember. Yeah, I, I can think of two immediately. Um, That's why I texted yeah, you. I was like, this is like Wiley Coyote shit. Like, <laughs> yeah. I, I love the the bit in that part where like the, the studio techs come on. Well, boys, we're going to have to do it again. There were, there were some buzzing. And then finally Ringo falls through the floor and John looks down. He's like, I, Oh, I knew it was you buzzing. Like the only person in the band that couldn't be buzzing is the drummer. It's just so so stupid. Again, it's again, it's one of those jokes. Like if you're not paying attention, you'll miss it, but it's so funny. Uh, And it can't be, I, we already talked about it, but I'm going to bring it back up again. Him drumming that whole song with a cig in his mouth and just like blowing it through his nose yeah, and still just like smiling away. I was like, God, that is the coolest shit I've ever seen. Yeah, he's the coolest dude on the planet on in this movie. In this uh, uh, movie again, this is another one of those songs that I think is enhanced by the movie. I think all these all the songs in the movie are enhanced by the movie for, for sure. sure. Uh, so track number seven, uh, last song was a Lennon McCartney song. Um, next one is Ticket to Ride, which is another Lennon McCartney song. Um. I'm obsessed with the crashing of the drums in this song. Yes, dude. Um, it's my second favorite song on the album. And it adds an element of heaviness to the album that the rest of the album just hadn't had yet. Yeah. Like, we've gone bluesy. We've gone folksy. We've even gone a little bongo-y, which felt like Bahamas-y almost. But then those crashing of the drums just felt like, oh, my God, these guys could make a metal album. Like... Yeah. You know what I mean? After Psychedelic, yep, if they would have stayed together, they could have made a whole metal album. Yeah, I mean, we talked about that, what, last week? Where they just had, they, I mean, they, they made some heavy shit, man. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, Yeah, I I love this song just because of the, the heaviness of the drums. Yep. And the song plays in the movie where they're skiing and try to avoid assassination, which we'll talk <laughs> about a lot later. But Oh, fuck. Yeah, it was awesome. Uh, yeah, no, it's we're seven songs in. They haven't fucking missed, man. Every song has been a slam dunk so far. Uh, this is a Ringo Clinic, like you talked about. Uh, it's really interesting drumming choice because he could have done this in a much easier way to drum it, but instead, it's really herky jerky, uh, really Tom heavy. It's like he's playing with a fucking sledgehammer, dude. It's so loud, and I love it. It's it, it just it's, it really keeps you off balance, but it's I mean, it's still in time, like you can hear that it's in time, but it's just. It's just not quite right. You can't really bob your head to it because there's not that like easy uh, meter to it. It's really, really interesting. He didn't have to play it this way, but he decided to. And it re- again, the, 
all of these songs are pretty basic pop songs, but they do just little tiny things that if you're not listening critically, you're going to miss. Because I mean, really, I hadn't noticed that until I started listening to this album critically. And it made me love this song even more than I already did just for being a good pop song. Mm -hmm. uh, but what keeps it stable throughout is just the amazing melody that the boys always nail. Um, the Beatles could do no wrong at, at this point in this album. I mean, it's just they are killing it, dude. There's just... I'm always amazed every time I go through and I listen to the Beatles how just consistently good they are. Even their bad songs are great. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I, Ticket to Ride is a classic. I think if you if you're even a little bit of a fan of the Beatles, it's one of those ones that you've heard a million times. But it's one of those ones that doesn't get old. I don't think. Mm. Um, but yeah, we'll move into Act Naturally if you're ready to move on. Yeah, Act Naturally yeah. is a cover. Originally done by Buck Owens. Sure. That makes sense. Um, yeah, it's uh, the eighth track, Act Naturally. Uh, I, it's a goofy little country western track. Uh, it's like a sad boy anthem. I love the line. We'll make a film about uh, me that's sad and uh, uh, a man that's sad and lonely. All I got to do is act naturally. I love that shit. Because <laughs> it feels like Ringo's song. You yeah. know what I mean? Uh, some people might consider this a miss, and I totally understand why. Um, but it's to me, it's the perfect levity to what has been like a, just a straight up good rock pop album to have this really interesting, like goofy country western track about becoming a, a movie star because I can act this part of a sad boy really well because that's just who I am. I'm a sad boy. Uh, it's just, I mean. And the last note I have here, it's another banger. These motherfuckers don't miss. They don't miss. And we haven't had the same song twice. No, for, no. For a pop close. rock album, it's just so funny to get a country twang song. And that's just not what you picture with the Beatles. Yeah. Me personally, I had no idea they even did country songs. But yeah, there's I think, two on this album. <laughs> there's two on this album. I think it's the second time I've heard a Ringo one. I think he had one on Please Please Me. Um, but I just love that like rockabilly feel, and he he has the perfect voice for like a country western album. Yeah, I'm not super familiar with what he did with his solo career, but if he would have made country albums, he would have smoked everyone else. Oh yeah. Um, they have another uh, cover on this album, but this was the last recorded cover until their get back Let It Be recording sessions in 1960. What's uh, what's the second? Is it uh? Dizzy Miss Lizzie, is that the second cover? Yes. Yeah, that's what I figured. Um, so yeah, I it's a good song. I I love Ringo. I love sad country boy Ringo. It's just like yeah. I just want to see my country get up just like sad as hell sitting in a corner with a guitar. Um <clears throat> So let's just get into track eight, shall we? Or is nine you mean? Track nine, yep. Can't read. Um nine. <laughs> nine uh track nine is it's only love which is a lennon mccartney song um this song was on help in the uk but it was featured on rubber soul in the u.s another one of those weird little factoids um this song is fine it felt like a filler and maybe just some like old songs that maybe they were like hey we need 14 let's throw one in that we've had written for a while i don't know yep. that for sure but it's just like it, it was fine it would yeah. it fit on it felt like this was like them like trying to shed old a lot of this album's been them trying to like shed old stuff and this song was like it's gonna peek through a little bit you know what i mean yeah yeah 
Yeah, I, 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 uh, it's interesting that this ended up on Rubber Soul because I think this fits better on Rubber Soul, for sure. I, I my, my, my first note is this feels like a potential Sergeant Pepper B side. Um, it, it reminded me almost kind of like a slow, lovely Rita almost. Um, it's trippy, and I don't really know why. Uh, it almost kind of feels like I've been sitting in a hookah bar for hours, and this just song comes on and it just kind of fits that mood perfectly. Where you're kind of just relaxed, not high but relax, like an ultimate state of relaxation. And this just kind of fits the mood, kind of like a background track. Uh, it's not great, but there. Are, this is a seed for better things to come, that things would show up in Sgt. Pepper and Magical Mystery Tour and, and from their discography from there on out. Uh, yeah, I, I, I most I largely agree with you that this is just, it's, it's an okay track. It does feel like filler. I feel like the next few songs kind of feel like filler to me, especially like 10 and 11. Um, so that being said, let's just hop right into track 10. Okay. Uh, you like, you like me too much. Uh, this one feels a bit lazy and that's weird for me to say about the Beatles. Um, and I honestly think like unfinished is probably a better term for this. Uh, <laughs> but it, well, it does. This, it is a, feels... this is a George Harrison song. So that's funny. You said that. Well, yeah, it just feels unfinished. There's too much space in this, in this song. There's just there. It feels like there are big chunks missing from the final mix. This everything feels really far apart, and maybe that's what George was going for. Um, you know, even even my favorite Beatles gonna miss sometimes. Uh, I don't. And again, I don't think this is a miss. It just doesn't feel complete. Like I, I think the parts they have were completely. Obviously, it's very well produced, but again, it just feels like there's big chunks missing from the arrangement of the song. Uh, and I don't really know how to explain it other than there's just a lot of space between all the instrumentation. That's just the way it feels to me. Uh, the normal tightness that they have is not there. I think this whole entire album has been super tight. And so to get this really airy track feels weird. Again, it's fine. I just It's, it's just a strange uh, change in tone, I suppose, is the best way to put it. Yeah, I think we're like out of out of the songs that were on the album. So this is where like, it's a little, a little divergent, but I honestly, I like the piano driven because I don't think I've heard a lot of piano driven songs from them, at least in the early stuff. And yeah. it, it sounds to me like a beach song. Like sure. there was parts where I was like, oh, I just want to be on the beach. Like yeah. th this would be a good song to like have a Corona or, you know, one of those big strings called painkillers. You ever had them? No, uh, we had them in the Virgin Islands. That's the only reason I know what they are. But like, um, I really I like it for that. But I think you're onto something. I don't think the harmonizing was as good in this song as others. Yeah, I, something about it is off. Like, the, I, I, and lazy. When I typed it, lazy felt wrong because I know that's not true. I know there was a lot of thought, but I think just there just I think just the tightness of everything being missing is just not quite there in this track. Yeah. I, I I definitely understand why it's at track ten. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, this makes total sense being like mid to late part of the album. Yeah. Um, so getting into track eleven, tell me what you see. Another Lennon McCartney song. Uh, I thought this was gonna be another meh track until the "Tell Me What You See" part. Oh man, uh, there's like a little instrumental break. Um, at the one minute mark. There's tambourine, there's piano, and the crashing drums bringing us back. And it was like, 
oh my god like yeah have i been asleep this whole time and this just woke <laughs> me up yeah they they do it twice um for like a post course and it freaking set my world on fire i was yeah, like dude. holy shit dude this is crazy <laughs> i want to live in this moment forever um yeah. in terms of like favorite songs this isn't it because i think it was kind of a labored point to get to the one minute mark especially for yeah, a pop totally song agree. Yep. but that moment made me want to replay the song like yep. I, I want to hear it twice you know and to hear it twice in the song i was like yes thank you yeah. um yeah what are your thoughts i have much the same uh it's kind of weird post a post production like rhythm stuff going on here uh, that really that honestly really carries it through the verses uh, other, without that, I was like, man, I don't know about this boy. <laughs> uh, it, this, again, this feels like the, the guys were just kind of tired. The vocal performance is really feels really uninspired in the verses until we get to that goddamn chorus, which is fucking phenomenal, dude. Uh, it's it's the harmony is incredible, and then that organ Tell instrumental me break. What you see. Yeah, it's so it's so good, and it comes out of nowhere, dude. It's it's awesome. I wrote like this kind of feels like a sleepy swap song. Like I could see Shrek chilling out. To <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it's just, but yeah, man, this, the, the core, the, the chorus really fucking saves this song and it makes this a good track. Um, it really does. It, it saves everything. Just the, the, the two times we get that little, that huge crescendo with the vocals and the harmonies and then the little instrumental breaks right after man oh man are they fucking good dude um and uh, you know my last note is here i've already kind of touched i already said it once but even their shit songs are still cool <laughs> so there's just there's something always cool they back into shit man that's what they do yeah that was my palate cleanser for this whole album because yeah sure. i wasn't like bored but like i wasn't sure where the song was going and the last song was kind of meh. So then getting to this one, it was like, oh, I'm going to get to min one minute mark. And it's like, well, you know, it's track. What was that? Track? Track 11. 11. So like, I can't be mad at them if they want to phone it in. But like, sure. yeah, that moment was so, it was chef's kiss. Yeah, yeah, man. Um, yeah, I love it. Uh, we'll move on to I've Just Seen a Face. And oh, my fucking Lord, this guitar intro is fucking pure sex dude i love it it's like where i was like ah the last two tracks like yeah these are fine okay that chorus is cool but holy shit we're back on track with this song uh it's it's like they took smelling salts to like write another country banger like i don't i don't get it man like they just they're good at writing country songs i don't know why they didn't do more of it uh we went from falling asleep on a log to a full sprint and the tempo of this song is addicting especially after what we just gone through um, another amazing chorus and melody. Um, and it's almost more of a bluegrass track than like country. And we all know how I feel about bluegrass. If you don't like bluegrass, then you don't, you ain't got a soul. Yeah. We are the, for guys that don't regularly listen to bluegrass, we are the biggest proponents of bluegrass. I will die on any bluegrass hill you want me to. That's <laughs> bluegrass is awesome. It's, 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 it's impossible not to be happy listening to bluegrass. I don't care if you like it or not. You're at least going to be happy listening to it. It's impossible. You can't be sad and listen to bluegrass. Yeah. I I, I think I wrote the same thing. Well, hot damn, this is a knee slapper. Yeah, holy shit, dude. Uh, you got anything more? No. 
Yeah, go. Let's get into your uh, thoughts, bud. Yeah, this is a motherfucking knee slapper. Uh, most <laughs> of the the back half of this album feels like it belongs on like a country western album. Yep. But I'm not even mad. Like, do what you want. These these songs aren't going to be in the movies, so you know they almost. I think they almost look at it as like a B side. Sure. Yeah. That's where I you get to let loose and experiment. Um, here's something I want to talk to you about, though. Okay. This is track 12 on Help, but in the that's in the UK. In the US, this was track number one for Rubber Soul. Interesting. And I want to know your thoughts. Uh, shit. Starting would... an album, starting an album with that guitar intro is goddamn cool. I would love to hear the song at the beginning of an album, especially this album like Rubber Soul. But cooler um, than Drive My Car? No, it's not, but... Bow, 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 bow. Yeah, Drive My Car, song. it's a totally different feel for the album, for sure. Yeah. This, man, oh man, this is a cool track, man. <laughs> that, that, I just, for strictly for that intro, it's so, so good, dude. Again, I've talked about George's tone before, and I love, I just love the tone he produces when he's actually allowed to show off, and he... He goes off at the beginning of the song. Yeah. I I think it would be fun to do a head-to-head on which... Well, maybe we'll put up an Instagram poll and see what you guys think. Because I really like Drive My Car as like the start of Rubber Soul. So it like yeah. I can't even fathom another song opening. But this one would be a good contender for it. Sure. But sure. I think it fits yeah. on this album because it is so sporadic. Especially in the yeah. back half. Um, yeah, that's all I had. Let's get into track 13, shall we? Let's do it. Yesterday, which is a Lennon McCartney song. Um, it's the only song to feature a solo act. This is Paul acting alone with some strings. Um, this is the only song I really knew on the album besides Help before getting mm-hmm. into the movie and into the album. And uh, I kind of knew this song like on the periphery. But you know, after five weeks of listening and digesting the album, this feels like a dessert. Like... And we got dessert for the birthday boy. It's like someone's bringing me out like fucking red velvet cake. Um, but I love this song. And it I don't know how it fits on track 13 of this album. But I just love it so much. And yep. it it's like heartwarming. Yeah. I, I think it's like the perfect reward for going through. I don't know if I would have liked this song if we did help first. You know what I mean? Sure, sure. Um, and I know there's a lot of other things about this song that I'll get into here in a minute, but I want to get your thoughts first. Uh, I've got a bit of a hot take here. I think this is the most overrated song in the Beatles catalog. Um, I I still think it's a, it's a fucking beautiful song. And I think this suffers from Stairway to Heaven Syndrome for me, mm-hmm. where I've just heard it a billion trillion times. Uh, so I don't really appreciate it for what it really is. Um, also, the story of Paul writing this in his dream really annoys me. Um, I think it's it's like he tells that I feel like he tells that story any chance he gets. I'm like, all right, Paul, we get it. One of the best Beatles songs you wrote in a dream. You're so prophetic. Um, and I think I think the the because you shared a post about John's criticisms of the song where the lyrics don't really go anywhere. And I think that's well founded. I think that makes sense. But all those criticisms aside, this song is beautiful. It's gorgeous. It really is an amazing song. Um and I had to set aside those biases as I was listening to it, but I had to, I had to acknowledge them because that's how I actually feel about this song. I think it's overrated. Uh, that and Blackbird, I think are very overrated. Um, another white album track, which everybody jerks off. But um, again, it's a beautiful song. Uh, much like yesterday. 
I, I really don't know what else to say about it. It's beautiful. I think it's it's gorgeous, but I've just heard it too much. Yeah. Um, I really love. I really love. I think it's a string quartet in the background because I can hear a violin and I can hear a viola for the bass. Um, I don't know if it is. I'm just assuming it is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it is. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's just it's a gorgeous track, and Paul's vocal performance is really, really good here. This is maybe his best song that he wrote for the Beatles, um, but again, I think uh, it just kind of suffers from Stairway to Heaven syndrome for me. Yeah, I read a bunch of things about like this being widely regarded as the most important song of the 20th century, which I thought was a little dramatic, but hard disagree. Yeah. Um. So when people, I, th- I feel like when people have takes like that, it makes you automatically be like, well, fuck this song. That's Yeah, that's that's what I mean by the most overrated, because that's not even close to true. Like, it, I get it. It's a beautiful song. The lyrics can mean whatever you want them to mean, mm. but they, they don't really tell a cohesive story. So I don't know. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah, that, I mean, this was at one time the Guinness Book of World Records most uh, covered song. It had over 2,200 covers. Um, but then they found out that was dethroned by Porgy and Bess, which is a 1935 opera. I don't know if you were familiar with it. I wrote it down because I know you, you know, like the outskirts of, of opera. So I didn't. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I don't um, know that one. And also I wanted to talk about the, uh, the movie titled yesterday because it was like the only Beatles media I really had absorbed before this. And I thought it was a really cool movie. And you said you'd seen it like maybe when it came out. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I've probably seen it in bits and pieces. I mean, it was interesting to me, like the concept of it, but I don't remember anything from it. Yeah, really. it was basically this guy had he was like a going nowhere artist, and something happened where all the lights in the city shut out, and he fell face first. And when he woke up in the hospital, um, no one knew who the Beatles were, and so he like tried to do a Google search and. Then he ended up getting famous for like rewriting all the Beatles songs. So it was cool that I knew this song from that movie, and pretty much yeah. that was it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'll put a I'll put a link to the trailer in the uh, show notes because if you haven't seen it, it's on Hulu. It's it's a it's a fun movie. If you're looking for something that's not just directly Beatles related, and you still want to hear some of their songs, Ed Sheeran has like a funny appearance in it. He tries to get him to change "Hey Jude" to "Hey Dude." Yeah. So. Um, anyway, you have anything else? Nope. Let's get into Dizzy Miss Lizzie, mm-hmm. which is a cover originally done by Larry Williams. Okay. I'll let you go first because it's your turn. <laughs> oh, is it? Okay. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> um, is it my turn? It might be. I don't think it is, but Oh yeah, it is. Shit, it is. My bad. My bad. It is. It's my turn. God damn it. Hold on. Let me get resituated here. Dizzy Miss Lizzie. Cool track. <laughs> cool track, huh? Um, yeah, it's yeah, cool. No, it's it, it's it to me. It reminded me very much of like a Little Richard track, um, which again, if you know anything about Little Richard, it's it's got that same energy to it. Uh, it's absolute fucking whiplash though from yesterday. I mean, it's a high energy like nineteen fifties like fast rock track uh the lead i really hate the lead guitar in this song but it's so bad that it's good (laughs) Uh, and i think what really carries this song and makes it good is that it feels like a crazy live performance we talked about um on please please me where they were trying to capture that feel of their live performance and i think this track really does this super well 
Uh, and I think this track is more about the feeling of being at a live show more than it is about anything else. Um, it's a weird choice to end the album, but I really like it. Um, because I think ending on yesterday would have felt really masturbatory. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Yesterday is a good ending track. Like, if you end an album on that, that would be a really good place to leave people. But it really feels like they would have been jerking off into your face with that one. Um, so I think this this on the end, it makes it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but it does at the same time if you're thinking about overall album construction and like leaving your listeners with something fun makes sense to me. See, I I I like the song, but it just felt like they were just trying to do what they did with "Please Please Me," like. Yeah. Ended on like an uh, a soulful let John let loose a little bit with the vocals and kind of just recreate twist and shout. Sure. Even the way it was a cover, um, but I don't think the magic's there the same way twist and shout was. Yeah, but I agree with that actually. I just had I, it was fun because after yesterday you were like, kind of have that. I, I at least in my opinion, I was like in this euphoric state and it was like. I love when bands just like end a end a set like that. So to end yeah. an album like that, where it's just like, we're gonna give you everything we got because this is the last song. So I I agree that like it's good that it's high energy. I just don't think it was as good as Twist and Shout. Sure. If I mean, if you think about this in the context of a live show, they might end on yesterday, and this might be like an encore track. Like yeah. this is what they come out to get the people back, like the crowd back into it. Like they come back out, and this is an encore track. So that makes sense too. Uh, again, I think my my criticism of yesterday was impossible for me to avoid here. Uh, I, I really do. I, I Again, I don't want people to get the wrong idea and that I hate the track. I fucking love yesterday. I just, again, I think it's, I think people give it too much credit. There are way better songs in this, this discography. For sure. Than, than yesterday. Uh, way more important songs in my opinion too. So, yeah. Um, yeah, man. Uh, great, great album. You want to get any yeah. closing thoughts? Yeah. Uh, I just, I had so much fun. It felt like I'm glad we did it in the order we did it. You know, yeah, me too. getting to start it like kind of the middle with Rubber Soul and kind of working our way to the end and then going back to the very beginning and then touching on a movie. It was, we kind of did it sporadically, but to end here kind of felt like a good place. It's like kind of open ended, but still like, we have an appreciation for where we, how we got here. So yeah. I just had so much fun listening to a lot of these songs for the first time um, and just getting to appreciate it. So I really appreciate you. I know you're a big Beatles fan, so it wasn't like super indulgent for, I wasn't like making you stick your neck out for a whole month of Beatles, but for me, it was my first time. So you were, you were a great, uh, a mentor and a guide. Yeah, I was more than happy to be your Sherpa during this month. Yeah. Um, because, yeah, like I said, I, I, I've been deep in this discography for my entire life. So um, really digging in I, and specifically to help. Like I'm always shocked by how much I love this album because it's not one that I think about all the time as one of their better ones, but it absolutely is. Um, it's the best. It's the best form of their early of Beatlemania. Like this Beatlemania culminated in this. Um, and I think every great band has that album kind of like four or five albums in where they just perfect their original sound. And then they're like, okay, we can't go anywhere else. Let's move on. And I think those are some of the best band like albums from any band. Um, I think, you know, you can think about uh, Metallica's black album as controversial as it was at the time. Like 
they had to go and do some some butt rock for 10 years before they got back to what they were really good at uh, because they couldn't go anywhere else with what they were before. Um, at least they didn't feel like they could anyway. And I think that a lot of bands go through that where like this fourth album is like, we fucking nailed it. And I think that's what help is. Hell yeah. So you ready to talk about the movie a little bit? Yes. I am more than ready to talk about this movie because it is awesome. Yeah. Uh, I guess to like, I didn't write like a synopsis, but yeah. um, the general theme of the movie and like the through line was um, this girl was going to be sacrificed and her sister sent the ring to the Beatles because she was a huge fan of the Beatles and Ringo started wearing the ring. And it's part of this like animalistic thing where they sacrifice whoever's wearing the ring. And so these people start tracking down Ringo and it's just kind of like a, a goofy, almost like Wiley Coyote meets Austin Powers. Yeah. Just trying to track down Ringo and trying to kill Ringo. It's super funny because it takes everyone a very long time to believe him. And it takes even <laughs> yeah. Ringo to a long time to realize. I think he yeah. realizes when he falls through the floor. Um, yeah. Not even the people trying to like bite the ring off his finger through the door. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he didn't get it then. Um, but they go a lot of cool places. I thought, you know, the, the ski slopes they went to were really cool. I don't know exactly where it was. Uh, they went to Stonehenge. They went, they went to the Bahamas. They went to so many cool places in the movie. I mean, Buckingham Palace, yeah. Scotland Yard. Like, yeah, there, there's so many. And like, I think the not that it was reliant on the set pieces, but the fact that they could get those and use them as like just like funny little commentary is just perfectly Beatles. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I texted you while we were watching the movie last night, and I was like, this is exactly what it would be like if somebody gave us a bunch of money and and we, we could do whatever we wanted with it. It would be us going and doing stupid shit in cool locations. <laughs> That's exactly what help is. Here's a loose story about a religion that can't kill their sacrifice every day without this ring, so they need they need to kill Ringo because he's the one wearing the ring. Otherwise, they won't. They will anger Kali. <laughs> Uh, and they can't get the ring off Ringo's finger. Yeah, there's so many funny little moments, but I wrote down some of my like favorite standout scenes, uh, and we could I, we could just kind of go through them here. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. Um, one of my first like actual belly laughs was during the when they first meet the main religious guy, and he, they're trying to get Ringo to, on the street to like buy trade the ring for like gold. And they, they say, excuse me, Beatle. <laughs> they, don't, they don't know how to pronounce their name. It's just, it's just shit cracks me up. Uh, then shortly after that, there's the five attempts, like short little attempts like they show to like get the ring off Ringo. And each one is so funny. The first one really stands out with uh, John and Ringo in the elevator. And the, the, just the little <laughs> the stupid conversation they have before. Uh, <laughs> just, the scene starts with Ringo what what first attracted you to me? <laughs> well, well, you were polite. <laughs> yeah, you were polite. It's so funny. And then, like, a magnet turns on, and like, John has this really goofy laugh, like, ha, 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 ha. just laughing at Ringo because his finger gets stuck to the ceiling. Really fucking funny. Um, next would be the battle scene in the apartment. I think is really funny where they all break in. Um, mainly for one part at the end 
where the guy finally succeeds in soaking Ringo in the red paint. And he just turns to the camera and points and goes, like, <laughs> I did it. Like, look, everybody, I fucking did it. Like, he succeeded. Like, he didn't think Some that was Monty Python shit. Oh, yes, dude. It's so Monty Python-esque. It's so funny, dude. Um, Adam, do you want to break in anywhere? Or do you just want me um, to keep going through these scenes? The part where they, like, reach in through the the AC, or the AC unit and they're, like, trying to get the the ring off Ringo and his feet are... He's, like, sleeping in the opposite... <laughs> his feet are on the pillow like a little goat. Oh, man, that made me laugh out loud. Yeah, that, that whole, like, the grabber is so awkward. It's so funny, dude. <laughs> and then Ringo trying to wake everyone up. He's like, what are you doing on the floor? He's like, I'm, I'm tired. <laughs> like, yeah. It, well, almost, that, yeah. it felt like a school project where it was like, uh, what are we going to do in this scene? It's like, well, don't make a script because I won't remember it. So we'll right. just kind of we'll kind of roll with it. We'll improvise it. I think my favorite part of that specific scene you're talking about is the very last part of it where <laughs> John looks at his watch, realizes it's time to wake up. So he picks up his phone, dials everybody's number, takes him forever to dial, which is hilarious. But then he he calls and he calls and it brings the other four phones in the apartment, which wakes everybody up already. But then he just plays an alarm clock into the phone, which is it's just so stupid. It's just it's so goofy that I can't help but laugh. Like the whole it's just nothing is said in the scene. Just but yes, that would yes. That whole, the first like 10 minutes of the movie, I was texting you like basically live tweeting it through text. Yeah, right. And I was, I was like an hour, I think, I don't know, maybe 40 minutes ahead of you on our watch last night. Um, so I was like, oh fuck, dude, I'm fucking crying laughing. Cause it, the, the movie just gets funnier as it goes along. Yes. Um, so yeah, moving on, like, I don't know which comes for, I think, no, the definitely the winter sequence comes in. And it's the first part where I found myself almost crying laughing. Because they, they, for no reason they're in this this ski slope area, and they all get on a giant sled. They all pile on top of each other, and they just do like a tracking shot of them coming down the mountain. This Doppler effect, and they're all just doing this stupid laugh, like ho 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 ho. ho, 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 ho. That's the exact. They're it's, all just. Yeah, it sounds like a snow, <laughs> like Frosty the. Frosty the Snowman is what it sounded like. Oh, it's so stupid, but it's like I, I can't help but laugh because it's so dumb. Like, why are they doing this? Like, I think the whole thing—if you just give into the absurdity of it—this movie becomes much funnier. Yeah. Like at the end, where they fall off of the sled, and the main bad guys in that frosty outfit, like literally ten feet away, puts <laughs> puts the binoculars up to his face to see them, and he goes. Mm. <laughs> and then it just cuts to the next scene. It's it's. Just, for, yeah, I see. For as <laughs> many times, for as many times as Ringo falls through the floor, how many times do you think that guy just stared with binoculars and was like, oh, either hundreds. in a tree or on a hill? I mean, hundreds, dude. Um, and then he I mean, won he like was, a skiing competition. Yes, I was just about to say that. That's so funny. Just the way it's shot from like from the top of the mountain. <laughs> just in this snowman suit and he wins a ski jump competition it makes no fucking sense dude. it's so funny um yeah but right after that we go that's the curling scene right yes where they don't know how to curl they're just like they're like send it down and ringo's just like brushing ice behind it it's so dumb dude it's again it's just a bunch of like dudes getting drunk and doing dumb shit yeah that's that entire scene on the the ski slope 
And it's just, it's so fucking funny. Like, I can't accurately describe in words how much I laughed during that scene. And, like, George yelling at the, the bomb, oh, it's a dubious thingy. <laughs> Watch out, Rico, it's a dubious thingy. It's just, it's, oh, fuck, I fucking love it so much, man. Um, again, it, I, I understand, like, Louis and Ben's criticism where it doesn't feel like it's cohesive. Because it really is, let's just go to a bunch of places and do dumb shit. But the, the through line of them trying to kill Ringo is there to kind of tie it together. This, um, this movie could have easily been 45 minutes long. Oh, 100%. But it wouldn't have been near as good. <laughs> it just repeats itself like in different places. Yeah, yeah. We can't gloss over the fact that it's incredibly xenophobic and borderline racist. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, being xenophobic is a British thing. Like... That's, I mean, they, they love Indian food, but they're just so skeptical of any foreigner. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's just, that's just the way British people are. Um, and you got to imagine, remember, this was 1965. So, you know, yeah, it was, it, it doesn't come off as like offensive, but there's certainly undertones of like, we don't trust the foreigners. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, are you going to talk about the, the cutscene or the, the uh, the, oh, the intermission? Yes. I didn't write it down, but you go ahead. Um, that's probably the hardest laugh that that whole movie got for me. <laughs> that was the end of Act One. It shows like <laughs> the tiniest clip and says, "That's the end of Act Two. and then it just goes right into Act Three. <laughs> yeah, it's so stupid. <laughs> what was the scene? Even I forget what it was. They, I think they were at Stonehenge, and they literally okay. didn't do. They hardly did anything, and it right. cut away like in the middle of the scene. And I was like, that's the end of act two. Oh man, I was rip roaring laughter. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 Monty Python through the lens of Beatles humor, which is it's it's I don't know. To me it's a perfect storm. Yeah. Because I think that all of the Beatles are very funny naturally. And I think you get that through Hard Day's Night and Help, certainly, just in the way they deliver their lines. You can tell they're they're pretty funny people just mm -hmm. naturally. So um I've got like what well, hold on, let me see. One six seven more standout scenes <laughs> so we could we could just run through those real quick okay i love when i love when they're in scotland yard and the uh, the bad guys call up and uh the guy just says go to the window go to the window and it's like they're hypnotizing like they all cover their ears because they somehow instinctively know that they're about to be hypnotized i just that shit fucking cracks me up the way it just it, it feels like it was recorded like down the street and I don't know. It's just that the go to the window always cracks and cracks me up. <laughs> um, the whole scene at Ar Stonehenge with the uh, the army protecting them is hilarious, just for multiple reasons. Um, the guy running down the field is fucking oh, hilarious. Man. It's so funny. Just his run is so dumb. Um, it, the, the guy says, "Take this hastily scribbled, hast, hastily written note hastily down to the, the, this guy." It's that line makes me laugh. Um, the point, the the point where they're chasing the Beatles and they get in the back of the jeep and the guy points forward, pauses for a couple seconds, and then the car goes backwards. <laughs> it's a classic physical gag. Everything in that scene is funny. Um, after that, they end up in because the, the the scene is like. Uh, the end scene is like, isn't there a place in Britain that somebody can go to have a peace of mind? And then they cut to the, the front of Buckingham Palace and then the, the classic text comes up and just says, a well-known place. <laughs> 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 Which is so funny to me. It's so it's so dumb. Uh, but I love the uh, 
this is where John and Paul start talking about cutting Ringo's finger off. And that's just a joke between the two of them for basically the rest of the movie where they're just kind of like miming to each other, like biting his finger off or like trying to convince him that he doesn't really need his, his, his pink, his ring finger. And he's like, I haven't seen you use that finger for the last hour. <laughs> you don't need it. <laughs> and Ringo just becomes more and more upset. So he takes the drumsticks and starts using his ring finger to drum Oh man, I fucking, it's just so funny. Um, the escape from Buckingham Palace is really funny just for specifically for the slowdown, Ray. I don't know what it is, but you know that they couldn't wait to film that scene because yes. I don't even know if they actually filmed it in slow motion. I think they just I don't said, think hey, they did. <laughs> let's just act like we're in slow motion and randomly kick and punch the air. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. That felt like a scene from Archer. And I, I think that's yeah. another thing that I really enjoy was like Archer is that stupid sometimes. And it just makes me laugh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the whole gag with the, the Royal fuse being blown is hilarious where there's just a bunch of fuses and there, there's the one gold one, but the guy has to scan through to see, ah, it's the Royal <laughs> fuse. Like that shit. <laughs> oh no, the Royal fuse blew. Uh, just, yeah, it's so dumb. Um, Skipping forward a bit, we get to the Beethoven's Ninth scene, which is really funny for multiple reasons. One, it's the scene where everybody starts singing is funny. But I think the best part about that scene is that Ringo doesn't know Beethoven's Ninth. <laughs> he just, he's just the so only person funny. that doesn't know it. <laughs> he's down there trying to like... He, it's like when everyone's doing the drunk sing-along and you're trying to sing along too because you want to be a part of it, but you right. just like did not know it. He just doesn't know Beethoven's knife. And I think that's so funny. It's just this, again, <laughs> he's just so, so nervous. He's like, oh, he doesn't act. He doesn't say, I don't know it. You could just tell by the way he acts that he doesn't know it. It's so funny. Um, we're coming to my favorite instance of text popping up on the screen, which is the Bahamas miss misdirection. The whole setup in the airport where they're like, oh, Beatles bound for Bahamas or whatever. And they're all dressed up and they're like, well, we're not actually going there. And then, you know, Ringo's like, well, I would like to go there. And they're like, you know, we're not going there. And, you know, Ringo's like, well, where are we going? <laughs> I think uh, John says, never you mind in an old man voice. And then it cuts to <laughs> them landing in the Bahamas. <laughs> it's, it's so stupid. They spend so much time wasting this, wasting your time thinking they're setting up this big diversion plan, and like it, it just it shows them arriving and it just says the Bahamas. And it's <laughs> it's so funny, dude. It's just this long stupid joke for a stupid punchline, and it fucking lands so hard. And oh, the man. fact that they brought like the the underground layer to the Bahamas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that's another great line. Like. Yeah, he maybe brought this this whole setup just for you. And Ringo's like, oh, he didn't have to do all that. A <laughs> <laughs> uh, couple of last ones here. Um, all the fake Ringos are hilarious. Specifically, um, I think it's John pretending to kick the soccer ball. <laughs> <laughs> I honestly want that on a loop forever. Watching him <laughs> try and kick that soccer ball. <laughs> We haven't laughed this hard in a long time. Oh, God. It's so funny. It's just so dumb. Like I said, you have to give yourself into the fact that this movie is just them being stupid. 
And I think yeah. if you if you know that, it's it's so much more enjoyable. Um, and then again, the last I love when they're riding the bikes away from getting captured, and then I think it's John just sticks his hand up to stop. I don't think anybody knew he was going to do that while they were filming because no. they all almost crash into each other. Yeah, <laughs> it's just a really funny scene, and then they circle around like. Hey, let's you know what? Let's go back and get them. We can take these guys. They're just like convincing themselves. <laughs> it's just really, really funny. Um, and then the last thing is the end credits. Specifically, there's a part where um, they show like writing credits for the songs. It says Paul McCartney and John Lennon with like George Harrison, and then it's up on the screen for like two or three seconds, and then you hear George Harrison pipe up, "Oh, and with George Harrison." It's just, it's like, oh hey, I got a writing credit. <laughs> Can, don't you see it it's cool huh <laughs> it's so funny it's just it's it's i don't know it's it's like they're so self-aware um it was just a really funny funny scene to me so that's those are my favorite movements of this movie thanks yeah. for coming to my ted talk about help oh man yeah i i had so much fun watching it and it was laugh out loud and even parts i think i text you about like paul mccartney is just not funny the way the other guys are funny yeah and he tries, so it like it's almost endearing how hard he tries to be funny, and he's just not. Yeah. But they don't give him a lot of opportunity. Yeah, like when they painted the the red shoe with with the blimp, which the Goodwill blimp was definitely stolen. <laughs> like Austin Powers stole that shit later. Oh um, yeah, hundred percent. Austin Powers ripped so much from Help. It's crazy. <laughs> but the little thing they did with the shoes, um, and Paul like tracing the shoes, like okay, Paul, you're not that funny. <laughs> <laughs> you're the good looking guy for sure yeah the best i mean the best paul part is when he's dancing with the girl and she's like i can say no more and he's and he just says oh please say no more and she just keeps talking to him about it and he's like and every time he's like oh please please say no more it's just really really funny. i just don't want to know anymore um i meant to ask you why did that girl help them so much um i think because she's a fan of the beatles oh I think she's the like think like you said in the synopsis, she stole the ring from her sister and sent it to the Beatles. Um, initially, uh, I think I mean she you could see her throughout the film winking at Paul, which is a joke because George always thinks it's for him. Which is one of the funniest parts of um, you've got to hide your love away because he's like spending the whole song like trying to impress her, and she like keeps looking at him and like politely nodding and then going back to like awkwardly winking at Paul, <laughs> and then at the in the bar uh, she starts winking at him again to like warn them not to pick up the drink. And George is like, I keep getting winked at these days. It's usually you, Paul. <laughs> it's just, it's so funny. It's like George miss completely misreading the signs. Um, yeah. I don't really know. I think it's just, just because, because why not? Yeah. And no one ends up with her in the end. <laughs> yeah. It's so funny. Uh, I think another moment was that I was like, what the hell? As soon as Ringo got the ring off and people, other people started putting the ring on, everyone could take the ring off willy-nilly. I don't know if Ringo yeah, sure. just had arthritis or what, but they made it seem like that ring was really easy to get off. Yeah, I think that's I think that's part of the joke as well. It's like, I mean, it clearly wasn't that hard to take off. <laughs> I think four different people own the, like, hold the ring in like five seconds. So. Yes. And I had Pirates of the Caribbean vibes at the very end. Where that guy was like running up the whole entire time, and then he got the ring on and took off. I was like, right, right, right. But yeah, what a movie, what an album, and I feel like that was a, a good way to end Beatlemania January. Was yeah, just hundred percent. I know you were a little self conscious about how we ended um, Yellow Submarine last week, 
But I feel like this was probably the best way for us to do at least this movie. It wouldn't have worked with Yellow Submarine. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, just because, I mean, there's I think there's a Yellow Submarine soundtrack, but it's not like an official album. So mm. wouldn't have really worked the same way. Um, and I actually ended up liking the Yellow Submarine album once I listened back to it. So um, my, my uh, self-consciousness was ill-founded. Yeah. Um, so let's, before we get going, uh, let's get into song of the show. Oh, we've already talked about Louie and Ben's, but, um, you want me to go first? Sure. Um, my song is Gypsy by Dirty Honey. It's like, a like an eighties hairband revival time. I, it, it made me happy the same way. Um, I like it by, uh, by Foxy Shazam. It has very Foxy Shazam qualities. I love the guitars. I love how the singer just like wants to be an '80s hairband singer so bad. But um, yeah, that's my pick this week. Yeah, I loved it, dude. Uh, I was list- I listened to it on the way home from work today, and I'm like, yeah, this song kicks ass. This song is awesome. It's just it's the right amount of cheese, and it's the reason I love like '80s hair metal or you know hair bands. I, I I resist using hair metal because I don't think hair bands are hair metal or metal at all. But um, that's just my own personal bias that I need to probably check at the door. <laughs> <laughs> uh but yeah no it's a fucking cool song it's cool shit i found myself singing the chorus after one listen so uh that's if that tells you anything it's it's uh it has my stamp of approval for sure it's mm-hmm. really really cool um my song of the show this week i actually it's a tiktok find for me um i think i sent you the tiktok that i found it from uh it's 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 fucking stupid i'm not going to describe a tiktok on a podcast about music but the song in it is Sahara by uh, a lady called Henson. Uh, she's still, I haven't heard of her until now, but she does really, really cool, like, like electronic, electro inspired chill wave. I think it's what me and Ben settled on for a genre classification for her. Uh, it's really, really fucking cool. Especially this song. There's a slowed version of it as well. The drop just hits really fucking hard, especially the second drop in this song where they kind of put a little extra stank on it. Um, add a few more uh, notes to the main uh, melody there. Uh, it's just really, really good chill wave, kind of hard style chill wave, maybe, I guess is maybe a way to put it. Um, it's good. Listen to it. Yeah, it's got some kind of intensity to it, too. It's it's chill, but it's still, I think I said, like, it felt like CSI when they found out who the killer was and they were, going, they were like, searching a house trying to find the killer. It has yeah. that, like, eeriness and, like, anticipation to it. So I, I really liked it, too. Yeah, I mean, the TikTok that inspired the one I sent you is like, it's kind of like a prelude to battle kind of thing. Like a fantasy, like sci-fi battle is kind of what I imagine with it. Yeah. Um, anyway, um, are you ready, Dill, to move on from Beatlemania? I'm ready. To Feminist February. This might have been the first one we decided on. I think we talked about uh, Feminist February, like... As soon as New Metal March was over last year. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think, you know, if we can get alliteration, fuck it. You know, let's just do it. Um, and I really struggled. I've been struggling with this for a couple of weeks because I knew it was coming down the pipeline and I knew I was first. Um, so I was like, fuck, what am I going to do? I'm going to do Ginger for my second album of the month. I okay. mean, that's, that's a foregone conclusion. So I wanted to do something different for my first album. And I'm going to do an album that I thought about doing earlier last year um and it's becky hill um only honest on the weekend it's a electro pop album it's it's non-stop bangers it's uh 15 songs but it's only 35 minutes long so it's a quick listen um 
and I think it's just really, really hits. Becky Hill uh, has been in the EDM scene for a long time now. She was, I think, the runner-up on The Voice UK on her year. Um, but she's not really well-known outside of the UK. Like, she charts really high on the in the UK charts, but doesn't really chart anywhere else. Um, and she's got some songs with, like, like over 100 million listens on Spotify. But, again, I think that's just because of the artists she's collabed with. It's like, um, we, I, one of her... Uh, collabs with tiesta was what's on my show uh early last year so um i can't wait to talk about this album i love it um when i listened to it for the first time all the way through i just had a like a little one-man rave in my in my bedroom by myself so um i think you'll like it i think it's kind of right up your alley as far as what you like in edm um all the songs are lyrical they're they're good i i've had another i've had a song from this album as a song of the show before so I'm, I'm excited to talk about it and kick off uh, Feminist February with something completely different than what we've been talking about for the last five weeks. Hell yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think it's a good, good uh, change of direction after we've been doing, yeah. you know, sixties and just completely changing direction. So I'm excited to listen to it. Yeah. Going for something as influential as the Beatles to just like a really cool, like there's not much depth to it, but it's just a fun dance album. I can't yeah. wait to talk about it. Yeah. Uh, so thanks for listening everybody. And, uh, Thanks for indulging us for the month of uh, January. Uh, we're going to still get four albums in February for uh, Feminist February. So if you guys have suggestions on who you want for Feminist February, uh, let us know on the internet. Let us know on email. Uh, we'll have links to all that in the show. And uh, everybody have a good week. Socials. Socials. Oh, at Off the Beaten Clef on Instagram. At Off Clef on Twitter. Uh, we try to have a little bit of fun on Twitter. Um and off the beaten clef at gmail.com. Uh, we have a YouTube channel, which we are going to try and get something out on YouTube this week, kind of just recap Beatlemania January and talk about our thoughts going into Feminist February. So, um, yeah, be on the lookout. Well, I'll add the YouTube link for the first time. So, hell yeah, boy. All right. Thanks for listening, guys. We'll see you next week. Bye.